Hello, my fine listeners. How are you today? I'm doing great. The uh, It's a beautiful day. Very few clouds in the sky down here in Key Largo. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. This is a Keys Bartender podcast. I should do that announcement so you know right away just in case you want to switch to something else. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous day. Did my early routine. Woke up. Went to the gym. And I listened to a piece on NPR that made me think of something. And this is where you get to think about my, or you get to hear about my reasoning process. How convoluted it is sometimes. So... To get on with the local stuff, it is beautiful down here. It is less crowded, which is, I guess that is relatively less crowded. Still a nice amount of people down here. It's it's easier to take care of what we have and all those things. You ever been to a place, whenever you go someplace new, you don't notice it as much when you habituate, you're habitually around there. But let's say you go to a new place and you see places that are run down. You go into a city and you see broken windows, dilapidated factories, falling infrastructure, which the whole show is going to be talking about that. But And this is probably why I'm not getting such a wide audience. But that's what... Sometimes you have people coming into the restaurant and they come in various conditions. There's people that are full of vim and verve or whatever you want to call it. They're just hopping on in, rolling in, strolling in. And other people are kind of crawling, limping in. People are in different conditions when they come in. And as a bartender... I have to, sometimes when they're borderline, when I say borderline, I'm not talking about borderline being able to get inside the restaurant. Though some people do look like they're borderline, like they're they're arriving pretty, you know, pretty much on the way out. I seen them come in. I said, holy crap, is this person even going to make it through dinner? It happens. That's just the way it is. I know it sounds cruel. But when it comes through, when people are, coming to the bar and I see people that I have to card. They're very strict down here. I mentioned this before, the uh, liquor control board down here. They don't call it the liquor control board, but Florida Bureau of Alcohol Management or whatever they call it. They're very strict on enforcing the rules of being 21, which is great. I have no problem with that. And But it leaves the judgment to me on who to card and who not to card. Now that is a tricky subject when you're coming in with certain people. I know. We're not talking about, you know, when you have a woman who's obviously 15 years older than the, the person they're with and you got to card the person they're with and not them. That becomes apparent. And it's just saying, hey, listen, you don't even look close to 21. I'm not going to bother with you. What I try to do is walk that thin line, thread that needle where you're not offending someone. Sometimes a young person gets offended. Yeah, that's. And there's some people you look at and they say, well, we're only a couple of years apart. 
And I'm looking, okay. Well, in some people you look at, the person who you card is in their early 30s. And you would say, man, I would have guessed you're in their early 20s. We're supposed to card anyone 30, looking 30 and younger. But as I get older, I'm in my upper 50s, I, they look younger. I don't see it around the eyes as much. And then there's some people that I don't card, and they're only in their mid-20s. And people say, well, I'm older than that person. Why are you carding me? And I'm, hey, I go, oh, I, I, I don't feel the need to apologize anymore for the decision someone made in their life to make themselves look so old. I do have some empathy with that because I had lived a very hard life. Someday I'm not, some days I'm not feeling so hot. And I, I think over the past year I've looked better and worse. And there's always a remnant of the things I did in the past. I was a two-pack-a-day smoker at one time. Even, you know, that, and on average, two packs a day. But I gave that up a while back. And the same thing goes for drinking. That takes a lot out of you and the lack of sleep and not taking care of yourself sometimes. Now, luck, fortunately, I've been dealt a good deck or a good hand when it comes to uh, my physicality, my physical being. But this isn't about me. I was talking to other people. Some people, you know, if you're eating Doritos and, and corn dogs all day, or Fritos or Munchos or regular potato chips or whatever, and drinking Pepsi or Coke, you're going to see the effects of that eventually. That one won't be too long. But you could tell people that take care of themselves. It's a little investment you have to do to take care of yourself. And it pays dividends in the long run when you have, you know, you're eating the proper, you know, square meal. Let's say a square meal, whatever it is suggested nowadays. You know, it used to be a food pyramid, and I know now they know the food pyramid is kind of fucked up because there was a lot of influence from uh, different industries to get their items into that food pyramid. But generally, if you don't abuse one particular food or substance or th- things, and you have a well balanced life, you're going to have you're going to have a moderate presentation of yourself. And a lot of people are outliers on that. Some of the ones that are really bad, they're in their 20s and they start really getting beat up looking. All you have to do is go to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office police blotter to see the recent arrest and try to guess the age of the people that are arrested. Yep, and they're usually... There are so many people with DUI and fighting and things like that. They can take care of themselves. That doesn't mean they're taking care of their inner selves and things like that. But I'm getting away from that. What I'm suggesting is that the people that seem to do the best are people that take care of themselves. And the ones that are at the top of that have been doing it for a long time. Taking care of themselves. And if you leave that neglect, it's just like if you go into those towns. Neglect causes, you know, things to break down. You see, you go, in restaurants, people say, how could you let a restaurant get like that? 
Well, a lot of these mom and pop places, they have shoestring budgets, right? And it's important. It's important. It's, it's, it's how much importance do you put into thinking how the presentation of your restaurant is compared to the production of your staff, meaning in food and drink and service. You got to balance that. People say, well, listen, I want to have a really great presentation of my facility, the restaurant, as well as having a really great presentation and production by my staff and that. So that's the well-balanced part. That's what you have to do to maintain yourself. And that's how you have to do that to maintain your vehicle and your car. Think about it. Neglect your car for a couple of years. Don't change your oil. Don't change your filter. Let the tires get worn down to get bald. Don't get, I mean, there's not tune-ups anymore, but let those little knocks build up and see what happens. With certain vehicles, some of them, you know, I've known people that you've been driving the same vehicle and they've just been putting pretty much band-aids on it and kept it going for years. I've, I was known for doing that. But if you take care of those things, it, it usually gives you a lot more return, meaning you're, it's more functioning. Same things goes for housing or your body. Now, Jim, how did you get to this point by listening to a piece on National Public Radio. I'll tell you why. This is it. They were going over a historical piece, and this is the long and winded road of my crazy thoughts, I know. But they were talking about in 1971-72, there was an international tournament, and table tennis was... uh, I think it was a championship. I don't know if it was Olympics or what happened is that an American player was invited to get on the People's Republic of China's bus. At that time, 1970-71, they were in the Cultural Revolution, Mao Zedong. It was consolidating his power after years of being in power, but they consolidating it even more right before he died, a couple of years before he died. And China was shut off from the world. The Cultural Revolution... You know, that no one really knew what was going on there. The power structure, who was in charge, knew what the Chinese... So China started opening up again in the early 70s. And that happened with... That's why they called ping pong table tennis di- di- diplomacy. So the U.S. was playing in China. There was U.S. members playing in China. U.S. teams playing in China. And China coming to the United States and playing here. And one of the members of the... Chinese People Republic table tennis team, they talked about how much they liked the United States. But the thing they were surprised at was how poor the infrastructure was here in the United States. That was 1971. Okay? This is 50 years later. We're still talking about it. Now, obviously... Let me put this here. Things have been done since 71 till now. In those 50 years. Otherwise, if they weren't, the roads, the railroads, the airports, everything, there would be so much, it, it would be 
completely dilapidated. Much like one of these things you see in the future where it's like 100 years post uh, uh, some natural disaster and, you know, the government's gone and society's fallen and stuff like that. You just see trees growing up in the middle of the highways and rusting bulks of cars and trucks and buildings falling apart. But let me go over what this made me think of when I heard that guy say that in 1971. That was the end of the story for me. I guess I should have kept on listening, but the story was not talking about, I don't think the piece was talking about our failing infrastructure, but they mentioned it, which was this thing that made me think about how little we have done in those years. Now, I was born in the early 60s. I remember the early 70s. And I thought things were pretty good. Now, in some of the city, I used to, uh, in Philadelphia, the elevated trains and the subways, they had seen better days. Now, they were already 20, 40, 50 years old. And they needed to be replaced. And they did upkeep on it. And they have done upkeep on the elevated train. But it wasn't, what we did was like putting a, a new coat of paint on a, an old car. Putting a brand new, like a blob punk radio like my brother did in my 1980 AMC Hornet, Levi edition Hornet, that was worth $100. The car was worth $100 and the radio was worth $200, $250 at the time. I, you know, why would you put something like that in a hundred dollar car. I don't know. It's, it, it was worth more to me than a hundred dollars. I would call it five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars at the time in the late, later 80s, 87, 88. But I digress. What I'm suggesting is that we were putting like a new coat of paint over a rusty bulkhead. And you see, you hear about all the bridges and roads and Railroads and airports are waterways. Even the waterways have to be like there's there's certain upkeep uh, upkeep to our waterways, which are still used for transportation of bulk goods, like the Mississippi, the Ohio, and all those things. They have to be dredged and made easy to navigate. So all this time, we're saying what what have we done? Why haven't this been looked at after and what is the role of the government and this is where it gets kind of murky and I'm whenever I talk to someone we have to spend it we have to spend money on infrastructure I'll talk about I'll just pull up some numbers since the last 20 years the US government federal government spent 14.5 it could be up to fifteen five. It's it's more. I kept it a little lower than high, so it could be up to fifteen point five. And this is not adjusted over twenty years. These are just the total number of dollars. Fourteen point five trillion dollars were spent on the military. Now, a lot of those items earmarked for military for items. Those items are already out of date. And think of all the aircraft carriers destroyers and things used. Now we had, the military was a deterrent, is a deterrent and a security system for the United States to secure our safety, 
freedom of navigating, trade, our alliances around the world, our way of life. You can say that. I understand that. But there's a dollar amount. That's $14.5 trillion. Now, out of that, there was, obviously, there was pay, and there's paying veterans and taking care of their... I don't know if the health care is involved in there, but that should be considered also the veterans' health care. I don't know if they do. I think they may split, split out the Veterans Administration now nowadays. So in that same time, the federal government spent approximately, approximately $1 trillion on infrastructure. Now get those two, $14.5 trillion and $1 trillion. Now... A tank built 20 years ago will not be beneficial to us 20 years from now. There'll be new technology. There'll be new things. There'll be new missiles. There'll be all different things. There'll be drone drone missiles that come on. And the tank could be obsolete then, right? A manned tank. So I don't know how bang for the buck we're going to have. And I'm not saying we should get rid of our military. I'm just talking about... $14.5 trillion for a military, $1 trillion for infrastructure. Now, how many times do you use a road, a highway, a railroad? Also infrastructure, I'm talking about high-speed internet or electrical grid. Infrastructure, I think, is the health of the well-being of your house, right? The house being the United States. Uh, is also education, health care, and things like that. I know People say, Jim, that's not it. But if infrastructure is the skeletal and internal workings of the United States, if you don't support that, it's like a body that's falling apart. Imagine that with bones that aren't working, muscles that are failing. Circulatory system is kind of like your trade, the way you move goods around your your. The country is your circulatory system, like our bloodstream. If that's not healthy, why the fuck are you spending $14.5 trillion on the military? What are you building? It's like having a house that's falling apart. You haven't repaired the roof. It's been leaking for 20 years. Your floors are warped. Maybe put it another way. Think of a house built in the 1800s prior to gas lighting and electricity and all that. It could be beautifully maintained. Everything kept up to date, the ceiling, everything perfect, right? Think of it today, 2021. How useful would that house be to a modern family? As a museum piece, it would be excellent just to show around. and something. Or, you know, if people want to sit and they want a, uh, a B&B where there's only whale oil, Lanterns, because obviously in the mid-early 1800s, natural gas wasn't discovered yet, really. It wasn't discovered for home and industrial use. They were using whale oil, and central heating wasn't there. Central plumb, you know, indoor plumbing wasn't. So you might, you might well have a pump inside the house for water, but you're using most likely wood, fireplaces and wood-burning stoves to heat the house. No electricity. So you're, you're not doing anything 
I mean, you could bring in, obviously, if you had a cell phone and you had a tower and you had a good, you could set up a local, you know, uh, Wi-Fi service for yourself. Yes. But other than that, that house would be completely useless unless you were trying to do one of those things with back to the basics, bed and back breakfast where there's no electricity and all that stuff, you know. So that's, that's what I'm calling the modernization part of it. Now, if you didn't take care of the roof, the floor, you allowed everything to leak, that house would be a total shithole and eventually becomes useless. There'll be some walls left up and things like that. And that's what disuse and disrepair is. And we've been doing a very poor job in the United States. Our freight system for the railroad system, people say Amtrak is, you know, what a waste of money. Well, it's just like the Postal Service, if you think about it. The Postal Service is a service that the U.S. government offers. It's not a for-profit system. It's not UPS. It's not FedEx. It's a public, it's called a, um, and this is what I studied in college, a quasi-public-private hybrid institution where they take fees in the form of stamps to make to pay their workers and pay for their equipment and pay for their infrastructure and things like that. But we need the postal service in the United States to privatize it. Remember, privatizing hasn't worked well on our highways, hasn't worked for our bridges and things like that. They've done that in Florida where they give away all the services to outside like the toll commission and the highway department and all these things. They farm it out. They make it as small as possible. They say the government shouldn't be in there. Business should be in the business of business. I understand. I understand you need businesses. And I understand a lot of time government hasn't been the most, let's say, efficient use of our funds. Most efficient use of our funds. But just remember, when you talk about that $2,000 hammer that the Department of Defense bought. Now, yeah, the Def- Department of Defense, Defense put out the specifications for the hammer, but a private company is charging someone for that. And it doesn't take $2,000 to make the hammer. Specifications do cost certain military specifications. does drive the p- uh, price up on certain items. But a lot of it has to do with because they've, if they're going to buy them in bulk or they're going to buy them, you know, they just have a couple items that they're doing. So, so that's when you see these, these fighter jets that cost $100 million, $200 million a piece. If you're making 5000 of them, the price goes down sometimes. But you're still paying an enormous amount of money that eventually for something's going to become obsolete. Someone develops the quintessential $500 million fighter jet that conveyed radar, missiles, this and that, right? And it costs for a squadron of them, let's say it costs $100 billion. Well, what happens if someone spends $5 billion building a hypersonic missile that's designed to take that jet down? And it takes four of them to do it. Well, there's still a better return for your money than it. It's just one of those things. It's like aircraft carriers. And I'm a Navy guy. The fully 
outfit an aircraft carrier after you build it, new power plant, and put all the aircraft on it with the up-to-state, state-of-the-art aircraft, I don't know what it is now, $50 billion, $60 billion, where a $100 million missile can take it out. I know they have a high-tech security system, stuff like that, but how many on a $50 billion aircraft carrier, how many $100 million missiles would you use on that? Right? Well, they could run... What can it run? Like uh, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 500? If it takes five, fire 500? Now, granted, if they fired like 20 of these hypersonic missiles at an aircraft carrier, and let's say they were they cost $100 million a piece, and I don't think there's any of them that cost $100 million a piece. A couple of them get through, and that's where you lose your money. It's like saying, I'm going to build a house, but I'm going to, I'm going to put everything on the inside of the house. It's going to be top quality. Normally, a house like that would cost, let's say, 500000 What I'm going to do is build it with the best stuff inside. It's going to cost $5 million. But the outside, I'm going to make it out of glass. Okay. So there you go. You got the inside you spent the best on, and the outside you made of glass. So. You got to have a balance, right? You got to have a good outside. You got to have a strong roof. That's why they have metal roofs here and things like that. I'm not suggesting to get rid of all the military spending. We do need a national defense, but we got to put it in perspective. What are we defending if we're not going to be healthy? It's like saving up and put it another way. I could I can use the metaphor of a homeowners association. A homeowners association, quintessential, a quintessential capitalist thing is getting a group of people together and saying, listen, we have these rules of homeowners. This is going to be roads. This is going to be lighting. This is going to be our security. If we're going to have a gated community, this is what we're going to pay our security staff. And this is what our rules are inside. And this is what our garden is going to be like. And we're going to make sure these trees are planted and and these uh, flowers are planted and all this stuff. And we're to the minute details. And you, everyone contributes money into it. Everyone contributes money. And it usually has to do with your property, the v- value of your property. Right? So if you have a tiny property, you don't spend as much as someone that has a property that's 20 times bigger than yours. So that is progressive. That's progressive taxation. And done on, in a capitalist way because a homeowners association is not socialist. Because you move in there, you know it's that already. So if we're going to just turn things over and say, listen, we're going to privatize everything. The roads are going to be taken. No, they're not going to be taken care of. The bridges are not going to be taken care of. The electrical infrastructure is not going to be taken care of. Look what happened in Texas over two months ago with the snowstorm when they lost power. It wasn't because of windmills and things like that we found out. It's because of a deregulated electrical system. They weren't even linked into, uh, uh, most of Texas wasn't linked into an extra grid to be able to put up with the excess demand they had. So that's what we have to do in the United States. We have to spend a little to make up for the deficits of the past. We did a lot 
we did a lot for the military. We had to be the best. You know, the the Navy, uh, um, like I said, I'm a Navy guy, was for years. The Navy was pent-ultimate, meaning there was... The United States Navy was stronger than the next 10 navies. I mean, at the height, the Soviet Union couldn't even get close to half half of the United States. They had some boomers, meaning the ballistic uh, submarines and things like that, and some attack submarines, kilo-class submarines. But they couldn't get close to us. They didn't have a service fleet to even get close to us. But they had the land. They put it mostly on land forces and things like that, their air force, their tanks. Their mobile infantry. And look what happened to them. Look after World War II, what happened in Europe. Devastated Europe. Devastated Europe. After World War II. They had, what you had, it was a arm to the teeth, United States and Soviet Union and somewhat less Britain. And it devastated uh, Europe and Japan and parts of China. And Korea. And what happened? The victors moved in and propped up those infrastructures. Germany was destroyed. Germany itself. I mean, they had the Autobahn that was prior to World War II that was a miracle of the modern world. That had to be rebuilt. And all the railroad systems, their airports, and all those things. And the, part of that was the United States invested in the infrastructure of Europe in the, through the Marshall Plan. And people say, well, why did we take care of the, uh, our defeated opponents like Japan? Why would we help build their infrastructure back? Because if we didn't, our one-time allies and future nemesis, the Soviet Union, would have moved in there and said, hey, listen, we'll help you rebuild. And that would have been Japan and Germany in that. Well, Soviet Union did that with Eastern Europe. Did not do a lot for infrastructure. The infrastructure kind of sucked. Soviet Union did not spend a lot of money. They spent a lot of money on their military. And even that, they didn't have the wherewithal because they didn't have the basis of production that we had. but we're, And so we supported Western Europe, Japan, so parts, of, parts of Asia, South, South Korea. And places like, look at what happened to Britain. Britain was helped somewhat by the United States, but not on the scale that mainland Western Europe was. Because Britain wasn't in danger of becoming under the sway of the Warsaw Pact or Soviet Union. They had a monarchy. They still, you know, they had the remnants of their empire, which was slowly dwindling away and stuff like that. So their infrastructure was similar to ours. And since World War II, right after World War II, we had an excess capacity. And Eisenhower helped with passing the highways bills the funding for it, ostensibly to, as a military, uh, to get it started as a military necessity to be able to move troops around to defend the United States. When, if you think about it, the last time the U.S. was in danger of being invaded, really being invaded, 
was the Mexican-American War. And it wasn't even part of the United States then. Lincoln said it best. I mean, who was going to come across these two giant oceans and try to do a landing, you know, without having established a beachhead? And people say, oh, that's Cuba. Well, Cuba, they couldn't barely get on the beach here if they wanted to. So our infrastructure is very important. And if you look, go over to the places in Europe, you see these beautiful airports and subways and bus systems and roads and boulevards and all those things. And you say, oh, they're socialist. But their infrastructure is excellent. That's the way they got to it. It's not necessarily we have to be that way, but we have to be as budgetarily smart as they were. They didn't spend all their money, I know, People say, oh, well, well, they were in NATO. Why didn't they spend their fair share? Well, they were spending on their infrastructure. That's why their education systems are excellent, their roads, their health systems. We, we don't have that here. So we, we took care of everyone else. We protected everyone else as a neglect to ourselves. Even after the Warsaw Pact fell apart, my wife comes from Poland. If you go into Poland, in the last 25, 25, 26 years, they've had a significant infrastructure upgrade. Their roads, their highways, their airports, public transportation. World's different from us. They have a different calculus that they put into place for what they spend on military, even though they have a resurgent Russia on their eastern border. When you know they have Ukraine and Belarus and all that stuff, but there's Russia was always kind of a nemesis for Poland. They still spend money on infrastructure and make it a priority. So think about it. When you look at someone walking down the street and you say, well, is that person 50 years old or 7 year old? I wonder what they did their life to get into that position. Sometimes it could be a disease you don't have anything to do with. A lot of times it has to do with lifestyle choices. So if you decide that I'm only going to get four hours of sleep, I'm going to drink a lot, I'm going to smoke, I'm not going to exercise, I'm going to eat food high in salts, sugars, carbohydrates and fats so you're you know you're you're using a cane or if you're fortunate a scooter to go down the street and you see that person using a scooter or something you think oh well i hope what do you hope you hope they would have made better choices it's already done And there's always, and I always say this to people when they come in the gym, and this is my gym metaphor. While you're still drawing breath, and if you're able, somewhat mobile, obviously if you're not mobile, it's harder to do. You can always better your predicament from day to day. It takes a little, the bigger the hole you put yourself in, the little more digging it takes you to get out. So you should be careful how you live your life. Because you got to think of how you're going to be in your old age. And we're, we're getting into our, we're getting into decrepitude right now, the United States. 
and we don't need to be there. We, we, don't, we don't need to be there. Why, why not? Why not make a choice to say, listen, we want to be healthy. We need to go to the gym. Are we, people say militaries are our fit body and all that stuff. Well, that's like training to fight. But after you're done fighting, you're done. Right? What do you have to come home to after you're done? You come into, you know, you win your fight. And you come home and there's rats running around. You don't have any food in the fridge. Electricity's cut off. There's got to be better answers. We got to put our predicaments, our, our priorities in the in proper perspective. So, if you, anybody ever asks you, what do you think all this money they're spending on infrastructure? Stuff? I said, it is sadly, it is time for that. And for America to be healthy, it needs all parts to be healthy. I mean, there's always going to be places that are slightly depressed, but we shouldn't be all, all parts undeveloped. So, this is, I know it was kind of a downer, but that's how I start my thinking. I, some guy on the radio mentions a story about a ping pong player that thought the U.S. was nice except for infrastructure falling apart, and it made me think of all those things. And if you think a private company is here to make America look better, guess again. A private company, their responsibility for a, a private company is to make money for its principles or stockholders to make make the most it is not to provide a bargain to the US for building highways railroads and things like that their interest is to make money as much profit as possible i'm not making judgments whether that's evil or not it's just just the thing okay so why would you automatically you know, say that a private company is automatically more admirable than the government? I mean, the government may want, they want they may want to provide services. They may do it inefficiently, inefficiently. But they're not doing it for a profit. They may do it inefficiently, but they don't have to ensure a profit to someone. Their profit is the delivery of, of said services to whoever the consumer is, okay? And if they deliver that, they completed that. Now, with the more efficiency they do, the more bang for your buck you get. Private companies, they don't care as much. They want, they want to get as much money for the item that they sell. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that is their... M- Mode of being, modus operandi. That's the reason why they're here. So, yeah, private, public, and all those things. Lose the things, socialist, capitalist, and all those things. What do we want? What do we want? We want a healthy, healthy America. I didn't pass, I didn't say anything about laws or anything. We want a healthy America, and that means a well-educated America, America that gets around on its own, that has access to health care and reliable transportation. I did say educated, because so we can be able to handle the challenges of the future. 
And that, that makes for a healthy United States. That's making America great again. When we were the, in 1876, when the first centennial exhibition occurred in Philadelphia, and they introduced the telephone in the, the centennial in, uh, exhibition in Philadelphia, and a lot of other modern items. That, you know, that could be us again. We are doing it now. I mean, we went, hopefully if you're listening, you believe it, we, we sent humans from Earth to the moon and then back. And now we're planning on sending further out. That's, that's the U.S. We're the ones that won World War II. You know, the ones that came up with the vaccine so quickly and it's instituting the uh, dissemination of the vaccine is at a high rate. I mean, we're not doing so good at the, the hygiene part, protecting people from being infected. But, you know, I guess maybe or maybe not we'll learn. I just, I've been going on too long. I'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, once again, if you are in Key Largo, check out the Catch Restaurant at Mar Marker 102 Oceanside. If you do come in, tell them that Jim the Keys bartender sent you. Uh, and uh, they're open every day of the week for lunch and dinner and happy hour Monday through Friday, 3.30 to 6.30. And they do cook your catch. Thank you very much. If you have any questions, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And any questions, send your request to jim at keysbartender.com. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. Let me, oh God, I got to put on, I turned off my thing here, my thing, my, my uh, mouse. So here I am.